If you're a smoker or dipper looking to make a change, you really only need one reason to do it. But with Zen Nicotine Pouches, you can find many. Zen is America's number one nicotine pouch. It's made with only six simple ingredients. Plus, Zen is the only nicotine pouch with a 10-day hassle-free trial. There are lots of options when it comes to nicotine satisfaction, but there's only one Zen. Find your Zen online or in a store near you at zen.com slash find. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Whenever there was a camera around, like a professional camera anywhere, and I'm talking like if there there was a news thing and I, I would literally be up behind it trying to get on the TV to do an interview. If you look at Netflix right now, there's a show of Woodstock train wreck. I went to Woodstock 99 <laughs> and I got in front of this camera and was like, Woodstock 99, baby, had no idea this was out there at all until that documentary came out on Netflix <laughs> This year, and they used me as like their first person, like guy. They didn't say it was the Miz, but everyone on the internet was like, Is that the Miz? Is that the Miz? Yeah, that was me. That was like (laughs) 18 year old Miz out of high school going to honestly what I thought was the greatest concert I've ever been to. Hey, what's up? It is the most must-see WWE superstar of all time, The Miz, or you may know me as Mike from The Real World and Miz and Mrs., and I am awesome! Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to a brand spanking new episode of Off The Beat. I'm your host, as always, Brian Baumgartner. Now, as you just heard, today, I got to sit down for a full interview with The Miz. Why? Well, because he's The Miz, and he is awesome. If you listen to the Live from Lake Tahoe episode, you got a sneak peek into just how freaking awesome he is. But if you didn't, let me catch you up. You probably recognize The Miz from his pure domination in the WWE. But there might be a group of you out there who knew him before he was a wrestler, when he was just planting the seeds of his future career on the real world 
tough enough. And well, then just about every popular reality TV show of the early 2000s. The Miz is an entertainer, to say the least, but he's also a true underdog. He went from being just, well, the token real world guy to the only two-time Grand Slam champion in WWE history. But that's not all. He's continued to crush the reality TV space in a number of ways, including his very own show with his wife, Maurice, Ms. and Mrs. Mike, the Ms., he delights me. I don't know what it is. His spirit is so infectious. He's an interesting guy. I cannot wait for you to hear this conversation, <laughs> but buckle up. Okay, because it is going to be a wild ride. Here he is, everybody. Mike the Miz. Bubble and squeak. I love it. Bubble and squeak, I know. Bubble and squeak, I cook it every morning. Left over from the night before. What's up, Mike? Look at you. What's up, buddy? How are you? Look at you. Yeah. How are you? Where are you? I'm at my house. This is like okay. uh, this is like our office. All right. Our, like uh, like our production company's office. Okay. I I don't know why I keep feeling like I have to tell people I'm at a hotel room in Atlanta, Georgia. But I mean, we've got we've got it studio ready here. It's, you know, I you know I lived uh, close to Atlanta, like right. I lived in McDonough, Georgia. When I first started wrestling, you did. They, I'm from here originally. I know that. I I listened to Off the Beat literally <laughs> nonstop since it was before Off the Beat. So I know. I feel like I know everything about you. And well, Kevin. well, we're gonna get to know more about you today. McDon- Why were you here? Is this a, so, a training facility or what? It was. So WWE had a training facility called Deep South Wrestling, and once I got off the show, tough enough which is a show where you could win a contract. It was a reality show for WWE, but I didn't win, but I got a contract for developmental and deep South wrestling in McDonough, Georgia was where we trained. And yeah, it, your look says it all. Uh, <laughs> it's, it wasn't the the greatest place, but honestly, I really enjoyed it. Like I loved, uh, I had such a blast. It was very grueling, hard work. It was a great place to dedicate yourself into a profession. Well, we're going to talk about all of that and more. I want to start going back. Now, my understanding is not just born, but lived in Ohio exclusively for a very long time. Born in Parma. Yeah. Parmigiana. Yeah. Parmigiana. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I was born in Parma, Ohio, and um, I lived there my entire life. Grew up kind of, I guess, middle class, you know, um, and it was, it was a great place to live. Like I, I still have friends to this day that I talk to on a weekly basis from, you know, Cleveland. And, uh, it's, it's, it's amazing. It's like, I've developed friendships that will last literally a lifetime and they have lasted my lifetime. So growing at Parma was a great spot. I lived in a condo. It was like a 800 square foot condo. And yeah, I lived there basically until I got off the real world. How would you describe yourself as a kid? 
Were you energetic? I know you were exactly like my kids. I have a four and a half and three year old and they have way too much energy. Like (laughs) when I say way too much energy, I'm like, I have a lot of energy. Like I know I am high, like I'm a high energy person, but these kids, man, they, they'll wear you out. Tell you what. And now I really appreciate my parents even more having kids because (laughs) Man, it's it's grueling. It's it's not that it's grueling. It's it's great. You love them to death, but man, it is tough because they just want to play at all times. And sometimes you just want to sit down and relax and have you time. But I'll try to talk to my wife, and my kids will be like, "Dada, dada, dada, dada." I'm like, "I'm just, I'm just trying to. I just want to talk to Maurice just for five minutes. Is that okay?" Dada, dada, dada. It's like, all right. You played basketball cross country would you consider yourself like were you an athletic kid with sports like was that your main focus and interest when you were a kid yeah definitely I, I was very sports oriented I wasn't very good at them like I was a captain of the cross okay. country and baseball team I played basketball football I swam a year it was funny actually uh my uh <laughs> I don't even know if I've told this story before. So when I was in high school I was on the basketball team and my sophomore year I got on the varsity team and okay. played varsity team. And the next year I got cut and I didn't understand it. Like I was like, how do you get cut? And I wasn't like, it wasn't like I was a rude person or a bad kid or anything like that. Like I was very devoted, de- very dedicated, hardworking. I just didn't understand how you could make the varsity team your sophomore year. And then junior year, <laughs> nothing really, ch- if anything, I got better and right. bigger. And everyone liked me on the team. And it wasn't like there was some sort of, I didn't understand what happened. I went home and I was like, dad, like the weirdest thing happened. Like I got cut from the basketball team. My dad was like, yeah, I figured that. I go, wait, what do you mean you figured that? He goes, yeah, I got in a fight with your coach um, last (laughs) year. Uh, I didn't want to tell you about it because I didn't think it would, I thought it would blow over. But uh, I'm probably the reason why you got cut. Uh, Like my dad got in in a full blown fight with my coach, which got me cut from the team. Now, here's how I know this is true. So I went for out for, I was like, I have to do something during my, I, I just get bored real easy. So I went to, for the swimming team and I was one of the best swimmers on the team. And the next year I, the coach got fired and I tried out for the varsity team. Guess what? You made, it. I made the team. <laughs> so it was literally like, like that was what happened. And I, it was crazy. And I know with Off the Beat, you like to talk about acting. And in my school, we did have theater, but I never I never even thought about it because it was so sports oriented. And I wish I did right. because I love entertaining. I love acting, but I also love sports. So I really didn't have the time to do the theater, but I'd always go to the plays and, and watch them and, and think, wow, these guys are so great at this. But in oh, you Cleveland, would you would go. You would, oh, yeah. go, you would go and watch. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. I was a president of the student government and then senior editor of the yearbook. Like I was highly involved with the school. So right. uh, whenever you're like president of anything, you should go to everything is what I'm, it was in instilled in me. Right. So as president of student government, I would go to all, all the functions and try to just, you know, meet people and talk to people and have a great time. And I would go to these things and they were so good. Like even back then, like watching them, you know, watching some of the the kids that would do the plays, I'd be like, wow, that's so amazing. And I never thought I could ever do anything like that. Like coming from Cleveland, I was always like, oh, I want to be a basketball, baseball, football player, but I was never the athlete. And then once I got to college, I started realizing I was like, I don't, I don't want to do business. Like I went to Miami of Ohio and Miami of Ohio has a great like theater school, like very good and acting. Yes. I didn't, I didn't even think to go there. 
And nobody actually like that I knew went to that side of the campus, but it was like a really cool side. Um, it was more artsy. And so I never went over there, but I always wished in high school and in college that I would have done theater. It wasn't until I got on the real world, it made me realize, screw everything. I'm going to try and do everything I possibly can. Right. So, okay. So let, let's take this moment for a second. So you, I mean, you're president of student council, you're head of the yearbook, you're playing three varsity sports or whatever it is. So, I mean, you're incredibly active and involved and you decide to go to Miami of Ohio, study business, whatever. But what, what did you, at that moment, what did you see yourself doing? Like, where did you I didn't. see your life going? You didn't. I didn't. I had no idea. Like I thought my dad owned a Mr. Hero, which is kind of like a, like a, a hot subway sandwich, if you will. Like it's like a, like, it's okay. like a, a Cleveland version of like a better subway. Think of it like that. And so name. Philly cheesesteaks, like, uh, I, I worked Hero. there. I worked there from when I was 14, I bought my first car because I didn't want my dad to pay for my car. Cause a lot of kids in school would have their parents buy their cars. I didn't want that. I wanted to buy my own car on my own. Yeah. So I, I spent like three summers just saving, saving, saving until I could buy my first car, which was a 1988 V6 Firebird. And it looked like kit. And I thought it was the coolest thing ever. So I worked for my dad at Mr. Hero. Then I also worked at JCPenney as a stock boy and Abercrombie and Fitch as a greeter. So I had many jobs. <laughs> and then once I got into Miami of Ohio, which once you get done with, with high school, you basically are like, all right, what do I do? I go to college. That's, that's the standard where, where right. I'm from. You know, nothing else was even in my mind. So went to college and it was like, all right, what do I do? Like, I don't know what I want to do with the rest of my life. I might own my own business like my dad. So maybe I should just go in business. And it was a very good business school, very hard public school to get into. And so went there and I just, I would do terrible in all of my like business classes, but all of like, like I did Greek mythology and art history and I'd get straight A's. And mm -hmm. it was just like, I, I wasn't into the business side of it. And More got into creative. a fraternity. Yeah, got into a fraternity, uh, Theta Chi. And then I saw, I was watching, I was sitting at home watching TV and it said, do you want to try out for the real world? And I was like, uh, yeah, definitely. Okay. Like, I want to be on TV. Okay, so did you did you watch the real world? Yes. You I'll were a fan of the real world. This I was think, big back then. Very yeah, big. I, it was it was the biggest show in in my demographic, if you will. Like, it, you know, okay. a, a teenager going out of, you know, high school into college, like that was the prime time for the real world. I'll never forget, like sitting at home sick uh, when I was in like eighth grade watching the season, like the, I think it was the third season, San Francisco with Pedro and Puck. And I was like, this is the greatest show ever. And I, <laughs> and, and now actually being on it, I get people all the time that tell me like, I watched the real world or everyone has their season that they invested in, that they watched, uh, at least my generation does. Right. And so it's kind of interesting to to hear, you know, different people and their different uh, views and what what show they watched. Like, because I was I was a San Francisco and New Orleans person that I watched those seasons of the real world. And that's what made me want to be on the real world. You auditioned by sending in a VHS <laughs> tape. Yes. Basically, guys, that that would existed back in the 60s. What <laughs> what was it's what 80s was, and 90s, too? I mean, there was no I camera know. phones. I know what was on the tape. All right. So I would videotape everything. So I would have parties at my house and I would videotape it. I had the, the, the camera over the shoulder. 
I don't know if you remember those you back the, in the, the day. Big, the, yeah, the, the big, big VHS, like camcorder. Camcorder. Okay. I had one of those things and I would videotape everything. And so I'd videotape just different things that I would do in my life, partying, dancing, you know, hanging out with friends, that kind of stuff. So I edited an entire video together. Now, nowadays, kids can edit on their computers. Back then, we didn't have like the computers and the editing tools to do that. So you had to hook up your camcorder to your VHS tape and press play on the camcorder and then record on the tape on the VHS and then stop at the same time you're doing your left hand and your right hand and you stop at the same time and then you like fast forward on the camcorder and then you press record on your on your VHS and play and it's like that's how you edited that's so how that was you my did edited it? yeah that was my editing technique that and is how, that is unbelievable yeah it's pretty crazy wow and what did you did you deliver like a monologue like yeah, why I you did, should shoot me yeah, I okay. did a whole, like, here's why you should choose me. I'm from Parma, Ohio. I go to college. This is who I am. Uh, gave him a whole thing. My parents were divorced when I was in fifth grade. Uh, you know, when you're going on the real world, you tell them all your drama, all your ups, all your downs. But I like to make it more entertaining and energetic. And so right. I, uh, that's kind of how I did my monologue, if you will. Okay, so this this is where I'm I'm starting to go deep with you here. Because I want to know, at this moment, and obviously it could change. But at this moment, what did you perceive as the greatest reason that you should be on the show? Like, was the there greatest a quality? Reason? Yeah, like, was there a quality within you that that you were saying to them, this, this is why you should choose me? I'm the most fun person you'll ever have on your entire show. Like, that, okay. that's, that was basically the gist of it. Like, I am your token frat boy that will literally go out and party and have fun. And I'm an open book. And I didn't realize that being an open book on TV was so difficult for people. Like me, right. whenever there was a camera around, like a professional camera anywhere, and I'm talking like if they were, there was a news thing and I, I would literally be up behind it trying to get on the TV to do an interview. If you look at Netflix right now, there's a show of Woodstock train wreck. I went to Woodstock 99 <laughs> and I got in front of this camera and was like, Woodstock 99, baby, had no idea this was out there at all until that documentary came out on Netflix <laughs> this year. And they used me as like their first person, like guy, they didn't say it was the Miz, but everyone on the internet was like, is that the Miz? Is that the Miz? Yeah, that was me. That was like 18 year old Miz out of high school going to honestly, what I thought was the greatest concert I've ever been to in that tape. And as you began the real world, are you playing a character or are you showing no. yourself? I, I, uh, so when I got on that show, like I, it's interesting. So I started in August and I didn't get on the show until February. Like that's how long okay. the audition process took. So I sent in a videotape. Then I got, had this 50 page application asking everything and anything about my life. Then you do like a sit down interview where you have a camera in front of you and you videotape it and they're on your speakerphone and you are talking directly to the camera and they're asking you questions. And these aren't your normal, average, everyday questions. Like the one question that sticks in my mind to this day is, Mike, you're an onion. And I peel away your fraternity. I peel away your friends. I peel away your family. What's at the core of Mike Mizanin? And I, I literally was like at a loss for words. And I was like, I don't know. I, I don't know. And it was an honest 
answer and an honest question. And then the next interview, I had an in-person interview. And when I was there, it was at like in Detroit. I had to drive from Miami, Ohio to Detroit in my 1988 Firebird, drove up there and I had to wait like 15 minutes. So I saw all these girls and they were all going to prom. So I kind of went up to them, started talking to them, not realizing that the producer is going to come down and see me talking to like 10 girls. I was like, oh, wow, this probably was a good thing. Anyway, <laughs> so go up there. I talked to them in this interview and you ever see people on reality shows and they're bawling, crying. And you're like, why is this person crying? Like, I don't get it. I don't right. get like I, that's that was my mentality until I got into that interview and they were not necessarily dissecting me, but asking questions that I've never been asked before and questions that I felt meant something. And, and it made me, I don't know, think. And, you know, when you're just living your life, you don't ever have people, sometimes you don't have people that really challenge you. And I thought this show was really going to challenge me. And so I was like, driving back from Detroit to Miami, I was like, I have to make this show. I have to make this show. This is going to make me better and a better person. And so that's what happened. Like I got done, I went on the show and I didn't play a character. I was Mike until I was on the show and I was just uncomfortable. I was New York for the first time in my life. It was a big right. city, it was a melting pot, all this diversity, uh, so many people from different backgrounds, different ways of life, different ways of thinking. And I'm an unfiltered person, so I just speak what's ever on my mind. And I was hurting people's feelings and I didn't realize it and didn't know. And then finally, like everyone started not liking me. It felt like I was the outcast of the show and it was the first time in my life I've ever been an outcast anywhere. I was always able to fit in, always able to be a chameleon, if you will. And this was the first time that I couldn't do that. And nobody liked me no matter what I did. And so I created this character called The Miz, which was a WWE wrestler that was basically uh, cutting promos on everyone. And so I would get hammered and literally just start cutting promos on everyone, telling them exactly how I felt. And everyone loved The Miz, but didn't like Mike. And so everyone would always be like, do the Miz, do the Miz, do the Miz, do the Miz. So I just keep on doing the Miz, keep on doing the Miz, keep on doing the Miz. So you ask, did I, was I a character on that show? No, I wasn't. I was, I always look at the real world as, as real as real can get with cameras in front of you. But the first week, so we had this, uh, this tryout, right? Where we all went to Palm Springs before we were on the real world. It was a tryout. It was like 26 okay. people were brought there and they had cameras. And everyone was talking about all these different things. Like as soon as you meet them, like they were talking about religion, uh, all these different issues that were at the time very important. But you don't meet someone and say, hi, I'm Mike Mazan and uh, this is my religion. This is who I, you don't, you don't just do that. And that's what everyone was doing. And I, and I literally went in an interview. I went, this is the fakest thing I've ever seen in my life. But three days into that, that shoot, I guess you can say, people started getting real. And it started, you started forgetting about the cameras. So once you're on the real world, the first week is a little weird, but then it just becomes the norm and you're just right. in front of a camera. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, this is fairly early, early days of reality TV. What was your experience with other people in your life about you becoming like a reality TV star? People supportive? Was it difficult for you or what happened? I was leaving college. There was no way my parents were going to be like, yeah, great. You're going to do this show. And by the way, 
I wasn't allowed to tell anyone that I was going to be on a reality show. You had to tell, you had to be like, Hey, I'm going away for a little while. So I debated telling my parents. And the reason I've debated is because my parents have big mouths and they'll tell everyone. So I kind of like said it like this. I was like, mom, dad, I'm going to go do this thing in New York. And I think it's going to be big and it's going to help me and it's going to be great. I'm going to leave college. What? What is it? I can't <laughs> tell you. And so they were not happy with that, but I did it anyway because I knew, I just knew there was something about it, something that was, you, you know, when you, you feel something and there's something inside you that are like, this is right. This, this is where I need to be. This is where I need to go. That was that moment. And if I didn't do that just then and there, I would sit in college, probably flunk out, go back to Cleveland and stay there for the rest of my life and never feel that fire ever again. So sometimes you get chances in life where there's a fire and you feel it and you're scared of it because everyone's telling you not to do it. And you're like, no, I can't. I have to do it. I have to do this. I have to stick to my guns. And I believe it. I feel like so many people don't do it because of what yeah. everyone else is telling them. The journey to a smoke-free future can be a long and winding road. But if you're ready for a change, consider taking Zen for a spin. Zen nicotine pouches offer a fresh way to discover your nicotine satisfaction anywhere, anytime. No smoke, no spit, and no lingering odor. Ready to start your new journey? Get in gear with the Zen 10 Challenge. Enjoy Zen nicotine pouches for 10 days and discover a fresher way to experience nicotine satisfaction anywhere, anytime. Here's how to get started with the Zen 10 Challenge. Simply pick your strength and varieties online and check out. Once your Zen nicotine pouches arrive in the mail, enjoy pure nicotine satisfaction at your leisure. After your 10-day trial, let us know what you think. If Zen isn't for you, no hard feelings. It's that simple. Order online at Zen.com. That's Z-Y-N.com to start your new journey today with the Zen 10 Challenge. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts.
I read you were a fan of wrestling when you were a kid. You create this persona, The Miz, on the real world. When does the idea begin to come into your mind that that could be a direction that you you move? It it does. It didn't until it didn't. I until I like as a kid. You're not thinking. Uh, just because I love a show, you're actually going to do it and be on it. Like I loved WWE. I loved it. I loved ultimate warrior. I loved the paint on his face streamers on his arm. I loved his energy when he, when that music hit and he came out, I was like, Oh my God, it's the ultimate warrior. You know, it was, it was amazing to me. And these guys were larger than life. And I believed in them. I had every action figure uh, that you could imagine. Like I talked about wrestling nonstop as a kid. And so you never believe as a child that you could actually become a WWE superstar. There's just no way, no option. And it's, it's, I never even thought of it until I got on the real world. And right. That's what I was saying. So you, 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 at that moment, you've created this, people are loving the Miz. Is this, this is what starts the idea. Like maybe yes. you could do this. Okay. Yes. I, I was like, maybe I can do this. So as soon as I got home, from the real world, I was sitting in my bedroom in Parma, Ohio at my dad's condo. And I was like, am I going to go back to college or am I going to pursue this? And so I was calling like Buna Murray, the production company that did real world, trying to get on, you know, the, the challenges. Cause that was the next thing. It was like, once you're on the real world, oh, I want to be on the real world road rules challenges. And now today there's like 10 challenges. They're like everyone, anyone can be on it. Back then it was just real world and road rules. And I wanted to be one of those cast members. So okay. I got on the show and actually won the show. And so I, I got money. So I was like, cause I was broke. Once I got off the real world, you don't get paid. Like people are like, oh, you're on TV. You're a millionaire. No, that's not necessarily true. I was on a reality show. I didn't get paid very much, like literally nothing. I went, I went actually, I maxed out my credit cards because I wanted to live the life of a person on television. And so once I paid off those credit cards with everything, I, the, everything I had left over, I was sitting in my room and I was like, all right, what do I want to do with my life? And I looked in the <laughs> mirror and there was an action figure of the rock that my, my roommates gave me and were like, Hey, I'm going to be a WWE superstar. So I went on Google. I checked up, all right, wrestling schools. How do you, how do you do it? Like, how does, how does it even work? So I saw Ohio Valley Wrestling. Okay, I could go to Louisville and learn there. Or I can go to LA with Ultimate Pro Wrestling. I'm going to LA. So I moved to LA. People from Buna Murray found me a place uh, that I literally lived with roommates from Buna Murray. And then I went to Ultimate Pro Wrestling paid $2,500 to learn the art of professional wrestling. And then I was like, all right, what is wrestling? Wrestling isn't just wrestling. It's acting. It's improv. So I went to acting school from Steven Anderson, who mm -hmm. was a great acting coach. And then I also was like, all right, I need to go to Groundlings. I need to go to Improv Olympics. So I went to those two places. And then wow. Real World was like, Real World was like, That's hey. awesome. Yeah. So then Real World was like, Hey, do you want to do like when you get off the real world, uh, Pedro started this thing from real world San Francisco where you would go to colleges and speak to students about your experience because it's so much like being in college and they would pay you for it. So I started doing motivational speeches and I looked at that as a way to perform in front of a live audience. So I'd always have a promo in my mind of who the Miz was and I would cut a promo at each one but then have this speech about motivating people to do stuff with their lives 
And there is a kid that never graduated college getting paid to go to colleges to talk to students. It's crazy, right? So that's how I would make money. And then I started, I started making t-shirts. Uh, I got myself a logo, found a person that would, that would do a logo for me uh, for a hundred bucks because uh, I wasn't really rich. So I started making a t-shirt lines because I was like, all right, WWE has a bunch of merch. All their superstars sell merch. Maybe if WWE sees me on TV talking about being a WWE superstar, they know that I'm trying to become a WWE superstar by learning the professional art of wrestling. I'm also trying to act. I'm trying to improv. I'm working on my body to get bigger because everyone was like six, seven, 300 pounds and I wasn't. Uh, so what's going to stand me out? And then also I wanted to make sure that my merch was out there that I could tell them, hey, I'm selling merch. Like, even though I'm not in WWE, I am valuable. I can, I can, I'm a, I can do something. So, and the best part was when I would go on the challenges, people weren't jealous of the fact that I was bringing t-shirts and, and hats. They were supportive. And that doesn't happen very often. And everyone from the crew, from the cast members, uh, even to this day, have always been so supportive of, of me and, and, and my dreams and everything that I've wanted to do. And they literally, if you watch the Inferno, which I think it's on like either Paramount plus or and Netflix, one of the two, but if you watch that, people are all wearing my, my, my gear, like my t-shirts and my hats with my logo on it. And I'm being the Miz on the show and everyone's loving it. And by the way, the next season, uh, that was my, uh, I believe my last season, they basically said no one's allowed to do t-shirts anymore or hats <laughs> because I ruined it for everyone. <laughs> uh, so you, you, you do all of the, I this, I did not know this. You were going to improv Olympic. That's uh, unbelievable. Um, you then go on tough enough. Talk a little bit about tough enough. So, uh, three years into training, uh, I'm not making any noise through WWE. I've been backstage and every time they're like, hey, will you do an interview for WWE.com? Absolutely. No problem. Whatever you need. And they never would give me a contract. Never give me any. Like, they just wanted to basically put me on .com and say, hey, The Miz was backstage uh, from the real world, loves WWE. But no one was, it wasn't catching anything. I wasn't getting what we call right. dark matches. I wasn't getting these matches where, you know, you could wrestle and show what you can do. And so I was like, man, I don't know if this is ever going to happen. There's always those doubts, you know, in, in three years, I did five um, challenges, making it to the end on a lot of them. The Miz was honestly, anytime I would go anywhere, I was recognized. Like it takes, I always think it takes five seasons or five, five shows to really get recognized by everyone. Um, that's when it's like, you're a staple. And so with the real world on my fifth season, I was like, my God, I literally it's five like everyone recognizes me, but I'm still not making any noise with WWE. And then I got a call. Would you like to try out for tough enough? And I said, I would love to, but I tried, I wanted to try out two years ago and they wouldn't let me because back then you couldn't be on two reality shows. You couldn't be on real world and the challenges and tough enough because it was all on MTV. And they were like, well, it's not on MTV anymore. It's on CW. And okay. so I was like, I'm in. He's like, all right, you have to try out. There's 50 people going to try out. It's in Venice Beach. I was like, no problem. I'll make my way there. Went to Venice Beach and tried out and made it uh, onto the show. I believe there was eight of us. And they put us through the ringer. Like every week we'd have to go to Connecticut and train. And the training would be like taking 500 bumps. And a bump is when you flat back onto the ground. Like think about like just straight back. 
to your, like if someone shoved you and you I just can't. landed straight on your back. So <laughs> taking 500 of those, you are sore, your body hurts, you're getting bumps, you're getting bruises, and you have to do it every day to train, to get ready, to learn the art of professional wrestling. And by the way, I've already been three years in, so I knew how to do a lot of the stuff that they were training us to do, but you couldn't be, have a big head. You know, you couldn't be like, oh, I know this stuff already. Ha ha ha. Like, I'm not going to tell Al Snow and Bill DeMott that. Absolutely not. Like, so, you know, we were training and it seemed like fans were getting into us and it was through fan vote on how you were going to win or lose. And I've always been a punchable face, I guess you can say, a bad guy. <laughs> and so uh, I ended up coming in second place. So I didn't win tough enough. And I'll, I'll never forget, they were like, you know, you impress us so much that, you know, maybe there is something for you here. And so they brought me up to Connecticut to commentate. I don't think I've ever told this story, actually. They brought me up. So Joey Styles brought me up with Todd Grisham and Michael Cole. They all brought me up and I had to do a take of commentating. And they told me, hey, we think we're thinking we might bring you in as a commentator or an interviewer. And it was the first time I like I said, but I want to be a WWE superstar. And they were like, yeah, like they didn't look at me like a WWE superstar. They looked at me as a personality, but I saw something different. I was like, no, like I love what you guys do. And I think you guys do a great job, but I want to be like, I want to be bigger than the rock. I want to be bigger than, than, than Hogan. I want to be, I want to be a superstar. Like, and they were like, all right, okay. And so they gave me a <laughs> developmental deal to go down and they didn't, they did not think I was going to be much of anything, to be honest. You could, you could kind of tell they were like, Hey, let's see what we got here. Because I remember I was like, they gave me this developmental contract and I was like, I'm making more than this doing the real world and the challenges and stuff. Like I'm going to take a pay cut to do this. And I had to think about that. Like, all right, are we looking at this as a career move? Because sometimes you have to take, you know, less because you see the big picture and you, you see the more. And that's exactly what I did. I said, okay, I'll take less money. I will go there and I will train and I'll prove everyone wrong. And I became the first ever Deep South heavyweight champion. Uh, the first thing they tell us is like, when you can sell out this territory, like I, we called it like a territory, like Deep South Wrestling in McDonough, Georgia. If you can sell out our little arena, which is like two, 300 people then you can go to Ohio Valley, which is like, which is the other territory. If you can sell that one out, then maybe you can come to WWE and SmackDown and Raw. And then that's where, you know, you can make some money. So we were selling out shows at Deep South Wrestling and I was the first ever Deep South heavyweight champion. And I was a good guy. People loved me. And Paul Heyman, who is a huge influential person in wrestling in the wrestling world like created ecw he was was like all right we're moving you to ohio valley wrestling so i went to ohio valley wrestling and paul Heyman was the first person that said you're not a baby face because i was i connected with the deep south people like all the people loved me and thought i was a baby face and would buy my shirts and everything like that saw me off the real world when i went you to ohio valley wrestling, you were, you were uh, i was good a good guy, guy. i was yeah. absolute good guy you know everyone's big smile on my face hey cheer me rah 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 so then right. I go to Ohio Valley Wrestling and they weren't cheering me. They, they were just, it was kind of just meh, you know, like, all right, what do you got, kid? Let's see what you got. And it was a different territory. It was a different group. And I didn't realize like different areas. I don't know in theater, 
when you go to like say Atlanta and then you go to Broadway, then you go to different cities, is it different audiences? Sure. Do you, do you, do you feel the different audiences? Do you feel oh, the energy? Absolutely. Okay. Yes. So it's the same thing. So we went to Ohio Valley wrestling and it was just different. And I was like, Oh man. And I wasn't getting, I, we call it over. We, I wasn't connecting with the audience. And so uh, Paul comes to me and goes, you know why you're not connecting? I go, no. He's like, you're not a baby face. You're a heel, which is a bad guy. And I was like, I don't know, man. I, down there, he's like, trust me, you're a heel. So we sat up, we wrote this promo and I went out there and cut it. And I don't think I've ever went back since. It would really? just felt right. Oh my God. It was just having people boo me and hate me and get under their skin. And I became the biggest bad guy in Ohio Valley wrestling. And so then what happens? You get taken up to SmackDown and Raw. And this was another learning curve because right when I first got to SmackDown, which is where they brought me, it was on national television, live TV, and I was brought in as the host. And I'll never forget, first day I was there, I didn't know what I was doing there. No one told me anything. <laughs> I was just there. like, And they were like, Vince would like to see you. And I'm like, oh, boy. I'm going in with that. I'm going in with Vince. Like, this is like the first real conversation like I'm going to have with Vince McMahon. I walk in. I'm like, hello, sir. I'm really excited to be here. And he's and he sits down. And he just he he takes kind of a, a while. Like he'll just stare at you and just wait. And there's that moment, and he just waits to see what you're gonna do. And I just sat there and stared at him. We're just staring at each other for an awkward amount of time. And he goes, So uh, we're gonna make you the host. I want you to be the Ryan Seacrest of WWE. And in my head, I'm going, it, it, like, you don't ever want to hear your boss. Like, Ryan Seacrest is a hell of a talent, an amazing talent, incredible host. But when you want to be the biggest superstar in the world, you don't ever want to be told you're the host of a show. But in my mind, I said, I'm going to get a microphone. If I can get a microphone and get this audience to absolutely despise me, as the host, then they're going to want to see me get beat up. And if they're going to see beat up, they got to put me in the ring. If they put me in the ring, they're never going to want me to come out of that ring. <laughs> and so for the, the next three, four months, I was the host of SmackDown. And there was a lot of ups and downs uh, because I was such a good host on SmackDown. They made me the host of a diva search, which was where we, which is where I first met my wife, by the way. Right. which was WWE's version of Tough Enough. It's for the women trying to find the next women superstar. And we went in there, and I'll never forget, I forgot the phone number of, like, I'm on live TV. We don't have cue cards. We don't have teleprompters. There's none of that stuff out there. You don't have so, te teleprompters? No, Brian. No, we don't have teleprompters. We memorize everything, and whatever we what? forget, we just make up. You know, <laughs> it's 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 highly improv. That's what, that's where my... My, That's, my groundlings improv Olympics come in, let me tell you. But, uh, so I forgot the number and I wrote it down on my wrist, but I was sweating so much that it wiped off of my wrist. And what is the number one thing you don't forget when you're the host? It's the phone number you call to vote in. <laughs> right. Like I forgot it, Brian. And I, right. I'll it was the first time I felt a cold sweat. I don't know if you've ever felt this where sure. you're out there and you forgot everything. Your mind goes blank. And you, nothing, even you can't even put words in your mouth because there's nothing there. 
There's nothing yeah. in your brain. It, you're, you're sinking and you know it. And it's just like you're in quicksand and you can't get out of it. And that's what I was feeling while I was out there. Luckily, they played music and just entered. So I introduced all the girls and I was like, great. Thank God they just did that. Um, but then I went back and I went to Vince and I was like, I am so sorry. This will never happen again. I will dedicate. I will do whatever it takes. I will figure it out. He goes, I know it won't happen again. I know you won't allow that to happen. And it never happened again. And from that that point, I never wanted that to happen again. So I would cut promos on everything. I'm talking, if I was stuck in traffic, I would cut a promo on the traffic. If I was in the shower, I was cutting pr- promos on shampoo and conditioner. If I was, <laughs> if I was, you know, running, I was cutting promos on the person running next to me, you know, or or uh, running across from me or the tree. I was cutting promos on everything. So even if I got that cold sweat again, I would have something in my brain. And so from there. From hosting, they were it worked. Like people hated me and despised me and wanted to see me get my butt whooped. So they put me in the ring and I went undefeated for like six months. And then once I got beat, I had to figure out what was next. Like, how do I elevate and evolve this character? And they brought me, so there was three, there was Raw, SmackDown, and ECW. And ECW was like the C show. You know, it, it, we never say it, but it was the C show. It was like where people are trying to figure out what they're doing. Veterans are in that area to kind of boost and, you know, give it a rating. Uh, but, you know, it's kind of an up and coming kind of thing. And that's where I met John Morrison, who became my tag team partner at the time. And this guy taught me so much in the ring. Like I had the charisma. I had the ability to connect with an audience, but my in-ring skills were okay at best, you know, okay. and I had to, and even though I was training for three years on the independence, even though I was training in developmental and doing well, I just still didn't connect in the, like I was a reality star to everyone and it's going to take time to get them out of that reality star mode because I don't even know about you, but in Hollywood, when I went to Hollywood, like I would tell people um, I was on the real world and they would look at me like, ugh. Look at you. Like I couldn't get an audition, Brian. Like I was trying to audition for stuff before WWE and they wouldn't even let me audition because I was on the real world and people know exactly who I am. So then, you know, back then you weren't allowed to know who the people are. You had to be very hidden. Like actors had to be very hidden because, you know, you're playing a character and they didn't want to know your character. And so that's kind of where I set. So when I went to WWE, it was like I was still a reality star. People didn't like me and I had to develop myself into a WWE superstar and gain respect, not only in the ring, but outside the ring as well. Well, you have won the WWE championship twice, the intercontinental championship eight times, United States champion twice, eight tag team championships, giving you a total of 20 overall championships in WWE. And you became the WWE's 25th triple crown champion and 14th grand slam champion. I mean, yeah, you were a reality star that nobody paid much attention to kept pushing you into hosting and holding a mic as opposed to doing what you wanted to do. How did that make you feel eventually when you, when you began this, this ascent really to the place where you are now? So when I first won the Money in the Bank contract, which is a contract that you can cash in anytime, anywhere to have a WWE championship match. So say 
The person just got done with a match, got slammed with a chair, is laying down and can't get up. I could cash in that contract and say, hey, I want to match this guy right now for the WWE Championship. And that's how I won the championship twice. Now, as a bad guy, there's no better way to win than that kind of way. And once I won the first WWE Championship, there was so many naysayers, so many people that were like, this guy does not deserve the title. He's a reality star. He's an outsider. I still get it to this day that I'm an outsider, you know, coming in, looking in, even after 18 years of being in this business, you know, still trying to harness that respect value, I guess, that I want in, in so bad, I guess you can say. But when I won that first WWE championship, nobody wanted it. And then I went on to main event WrestleMania, which is the hardest thing to do. And I was WWE champion at the time, walked in the WWE champion as a bad guy in the main event of WrestleMania and walked out the WWE champion at WrestleMania with The Rock's help, granted. But then The Rock gave me uh, people's elbow at the end, which was fine because I walked out the WWE champion. Uh, And that was that was one of the most incredible things that's ever happened in my life, because, man, I'll tell you what you try to get like it's like getting an Oscar or an Emmy or, you know, for me, you know, getting to be the main event that doesn't happen very often, especially to a, a guy like me who people were so down on and didn't didn't expect to do anything in this business and then to be able to go there and main event and do it. And then, and then from there you think I'm, I'm a made man, but I wasn't like, I went on a deep downward spiral where I couldn't win anything. And then all of a sudden, you know, maybe like six years ago, I started understanding what I had to do to be a top talent in WWE. And there's a difference between, you know, winning a WWE championship and being a top talent and not needing a title and still being considered one of the most valuable superstars that WWE has. And so that's where I've turned my career into being, uh, I guess you could say a leading man. Like I can be the main focus on Monday Night Raw. I could be the main focus on SmackDown. It's like, you know, I guess having a Michael Scott You know, he can do so many different things. He can give you so many different emotions, tell so many different stories. Each each superstar knows their role and basically is trying to become the biggest star in WWE and everyone's there to help it. Like I I always look at The Office as such a great show of so many different characters and everybody is, as we say, getting over. And everyone knows how to get over and nobody, everyone knows their role and what they need to do to get there. It's kind of the same thing. Fascinating. The journey to a smoke-free future can be a long and winding road. But if you're ready for a change, consider taking Zen for a spin. Zen nicotine pouches offer a fresh way to discover your nicotine satisfaction anywhere, anytime. No smoke, no spit, and no lingering odor. Ready to start your new journey? Get in gear with the Zen 10 Challenge. Enjoy Zen nicotine pouches for 10 days and discover a fresher way to experience nicotine satisfaction anywhere, anytime. Here's how to get started with the Zen 10 Challenge. Simply pick your strength and varieties online and check out. Once your Zen nicotine pouches arrive in the mail, 
Enjoy pure nicotine satisfaction at your leisure. After your 10-day trial, let us know what you think. If Zinn isn't for you, no hard feelings. It's that simple. Order online at Zinn.com. That's Z-Y-N.com to start your new journey today with the Zinn 10 Challenge. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet that's right up to $1,500 again sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in Ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park that's 1-800-GAMBLER I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Past, current WWE stars. Compare them to characters from The Office. Say who would be whom and why. Ready? Michael Scott. I'd want to be Michael Scott, to be honest. But but here's the thing, though. I can't be Michael Scott because I'd feel like I'm Jim. Because on Miz and Misses, which is my reality show on the yes. USA Network, I do the Jim look to the camera almost not like almost every episode. And the reason I do that and I love, so I love what, you know, Greg Daniels and, and all your interviews with all the different characters, the crew, the cast, you know, from your makeup people, the casting directors, every, I loved all those interviews to hear the insights of reasonings on why. And I believe the reason that, that Jim would look at the camera is because it's so absurd that someone needs to bring reality to this. Is this really happening? Kind of look. And Jim would always have that look. And so in my reality show, if something so absurd is happening, and trust me, in my real day-to-day life, absurd things happen that you won't believe is happening, but it really is. So I have to give that Jim look to the camera to show like, I'm in on this with you. Like, I know this is ridiculous, but it's really funny. So I, I kind of, I stole that from the office. Because I love the show so much, so I would rec- I would say I'm Jim. Um, You're Jim. Michael Scott is is the lead. Every story can revolve around him, right? So I would say, gosh, it'd have to be like Roman Reigns or a John Cena. Uh, okay. Granted, it's not the comedy aspect of it. It's not the airhead aspect of it. It's not the you know I wouldn't call him airhead, but you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Like he's just so absurd. 
So I would say as a lead actor, you'd have to have like a Cena or a Roman Reigns as like your Michael Scott. But it, it, like with the comedy aspect, I mean, Sami Zayn is doing some really funny stuff in WWE and the whole show can revolve around his character. So he could also be that Michael Scott. <laughs> I didn't I didn't prep you for this question. I'll just do one more. Who's Dwight Schrute? Dwight Schrute. Uh can Maurice be Pam? Because that's who sure. I marry. And yes. then Dwight Schrute. Gosh, who would be Dwight Schrute? Who's a, a weirdo and gets on my nerves? Johnny Gargano right now is on my nerves. Or Dex uh he who shall not be named. Uh shall uh is 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 always on my nerves. So I guess. If I'm Jim, then right now in this moment, Johnny Gargano has to be Dwight because he's annoying. Okay. Are you an athlete or are you an entertainer primarily? Primarily entertainer. I love entertaining and I'm an, I'm an athlete as well. Like it's a little, that's the thing about WWE. There's nothing quite like it. It's why you always see The Rock coming back to WWE because there's nothing like it. There's nothing like that live audience and that live feel. I imagine that's why you probably enjoy going back to theater because you get that live instant gratification rather than waiting six to months to a year to wait for your stuff to come out. And you're like, oh, like, yeah, I did that like a year ago. Exactly. Um, how to talk about your wife, Maurice, your new reality show, Ms. and Mrs. You work together both in the ring and outside of the ring. Is that that's right? Correct. We met, uh, like I said before, we met off the Diva Search. She was a contestant. I was the host. And the first time, it's funny, like on TV, you can see the first time I ever set eyes on Maurice and the first time she ever set eyes on me. And the first conversation we ever had is literally on, on TV. television. Yes. So it's you crazy. are like Jim and Pam. I know. You are like Jim and Pam. You, That's your correct. Your life played out in front of the cameras. Yes. What do you think that? your chemistry how did that how did that change you and your persona or enhance it uh she enhances me in every way she makes me a better person pushes me when sometimes i feel like i don't need to be pushed but she will push me into directions and i always look at her as like she's a dreamer and a go-getter and sometimes when i'm like i'll we have this joke now because my buddy just came up with this book called there's just one problem and she read the book and now she uses there's just one problem because I always say she'll come up with an idea and I'll go, yeah, but and she goes, yeah, but is there is there a problem? Is there just one problem? And I go, oh, my God. <laughs> and so I'm just trying to be a realist here. But she's sometimes her like fan. So we have a production company called Mad Row Productions. We have like six shows that we're pitching right now. And some of these ideas she comes up with. And honestly, most of these ideas are hers. Like she derived them, came up with them, got the decks and the the sizzles all together and squared away. And then I am always the one that's like, yeah, this is not really real. Da, 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 da. And she's like, what? This is real. Look, this is what we can do. This is what we can have. This is this. is, And then she does it. And I go, wow, that's actually a really great idea. <laughs> good thing I have you. But she pushes me and she she, she makes me you. a better person. And outside the ring. So say say we're in the ring and she's managing me, if you will. Whenever you have your wife, you always want to show off. And I'm in, I'm in a speedo. Like I'm half naked, Brian, you know, out there. And so when I'm half yes. naked and I'm I'm wrestling, I want to show off in front of my wife. I want to, you know, show her like, hey, look what your husband can do. 
So I'm always trying to do go go one better and go and add it. But on Ms. and Mrs., we love doing this show. Like, you know, we've had so much fun. It's our we're we're getting into our fourth season and we absolutely love it. And, you know, it's a reality show that we're proud of that my parents are involved in and everyone loves my dad and Marjo and it's comedy and our little girls to see them grow up. Like we started this show and Monroe wasn't even born. She's four and a half now. And literally I've been able to watch videos of my daughter getting born on the, on the first season. And now I get to see her grow. And it's been such a cool process. Like I'll always have those like homemade videos that are really professional and were televised. And I'll always have those to watch and see them grow. And sometimes it brings a tear to my eye, but it's a comedy. So, you know, it'll yeah. tug on your heartstrings, but it'll also make you laugh. And it's kind of what The Office does for me. Like I still watch all the super shows, like the super episodes, I think was the most genius idea that they have. And I don't know if th this is my favorite scene off The Office, and I'm sorry to get off of topic, but my no. favorite scene off The Office is with you. And it's not the chili. I imagine everyone is says it's the chili. It's not. A and lot. I think it's off of a super episode. And I don't know if this actually aired on the real episode. So Jan has a baby. She brings a baby. She's singing with it. And, she's, and people are asking her, where did she get the sperm? And she's like, oh, it's a very high-end VIP type place. And you go, was it next to the IHOP? <laughs> and she gives the look. And it's like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. She got it from where Kevin gave his, like, this could be Kevin's kid. Like, that, that is my favorite scene. That one and, and Creed coming in as a teenager, like, his hair done, was two of my favorite scenes in the office. And did I stutter? Yes. Oh, uh, yeah. That was the biggest fight I ever had with the editors and writers when that scene in uh, baby shower was cut. I thought it was the most genius. It was thing cut, well, right? So I so, will so I, I am right. It was, it was, it's in the super show. It's, it's in the super it's in episode. Now, but it was, and it's my it was favorite scene. Thank you. Because the yeah. way you throw it out there and the look she gives you. Oh my God. It was like, I, it was one of those moments. It, it's like a moment that you, that you yearn for, like in those type of shows where you, she didn't have to say anything. And the, the look she gives, it's like, oh my God. That's where she got it. And it's next to the IHOP. It's so, <laughs> so prestigious. It's so VIP. It's next to the freaking IHOP. So good. So well written. I don't know. Was that improv or was that like? No, that was the writers. That was the writers. Oh, for sure. So good. Well, look, you're now, you're also now doing straight acting. You're starring in the Marine franchise as sure. Sergeant Jake Carter. Do you find acting in that? more difficult or easier than the entertainment stuff that you do on reality TV and, and for the WWE? They're all different. So okay. being on a reality show is completely different than being on a series show, than being on a movie, than being in WWE. So with acting, and, and I was very fortunate on my first Marine, uh, Marine 3 home front to be with Scott Wiper, who was the director, because he is very method in the way he does things. And he taught me kind of how to do that. And I was, you know, I was green. And so he made me stay in my trailer and he would make me watch 
all before we even did the movie, we would sit there and watch like all these old school movies and the little things like uh, the good, the bad, the ugly, and just the little things that Clint Eastwood would do that were nothing. And then watching Cool Hand Luke and watching Newman like literally be effortless in everything that he does. And me, I'm a tryhard. I want to try hard and do the best I possibly can in everything I am. And sometimes that isn't the character and that isn't, and I'm too big. I'm very big, especially when you're in a theater. Like I look at WWE as a theater. Like it, you have, I have to play for the last person in the, in the last row. So I have to be big and huge, but with the camera, it's so it gets everything. So he was teaching me all these little nuances, these little things that I could do to be natural and normal. And I'll, I'll never forget, I actually called The Rock and I texted him and I said, hey, man, I'm about to start my first movie. Um, I'm getting ready to do my first scene. Is there any advice you can give me? And he called me and he was like, dude, the, the best thing that I could tell you and help you out with is just be natural. And it's going to sound so easy and so weird. But once you get there, there's going to be three or four cameras. You're going to have to hit a spot that you're not, that you can't look at. You can't look at the spot and you have to be normal and natural and it's action. You have to just make it feel. And I was, and it was great advice because, you know, sometimes you see in acting, you know, you'll see a robotic kind of portrayal and I didn't want to do that. And so luckily Scott Wiper was able to hone me and dedicate me. And then, you know, I was given, I didn't have to audition for Marine three. I was given it. And then my next movie, Christmas bounty, the, the producer of Marine three said, we gave you Marine three, but you earned Christmas bounty. And then from there, we, I was the first, it was, so Marine three was my first one. John Cena did the first Ted DiBiase did the second. And so every time they had a new Marine, the first time they made, brought a Marine back was me. So a Marine four, five, and six uh, was all me. And I was like, I couldn't believe that they would give me, you know, like keep doing it with my character and elevating the character. And then they, I also did a couple, you know, Supernatural and a bunch of other things. But I love acting. Like I love getting into different characters. It's just so much fun. And I, that's why I love Off the Beat because I like hearing other people's process in how they develop their characters, get into their characters, how they got their characters, how, you know, some people didn't have to audition. Some people did have to audition. Some people auditioned for years upon years and didn't audition for that, that actual show. But then they saw them off that audition and gave them that thing. So every time I yeah. do an audition, I'm like, maybe I'm not auditioning for this role. Maybe I'm auditioning for something else. So I'm always trying to get better and hone my craft and, and be better as an actor, especially coming off of reality, because people still look at me as a reality star. Well, let me tell you something. Let me tell you what I admire about you. I, both Michael Scott and Wayne Gretzky said, you miss 100% or you miss 99% of the shots you don't take. You shoot your shot. And let me just say this. You're pitching six projects right now. You've got the reality show with your wife. You're doing stuff with WWE. You're acting in, in other films. And in addition to all of those things, let me tell you something. It exhausts me looking at your Instagram. It, exa <laughs> it, exa it exhausts me because you are constantly creating content. You are constantly putting yourself out there. And now I'm going to say something and this is going to sound negative, but I promise you it is not. I watch your stuff. 
You know, we've gotten to know each other. We're friends. I watch your Instagram. Let me just say this with all respect. Some of it is is terrible. Okay. Absolutely. Now, I'm saying that. No, I'm saying that. I'm saying that in a funny way. But then the next day, I'm scrolling through, and I genuinely laugh. And so here's my point is, you always and consistently shoot your shot. And when you do that, it's not all going to be perfect. And that's not just how it should be in what you're doing, but I'm talking about in terms of acting as well. The boldness with which you try new things, set up different shots, put on God only knows what outfits in different settings, and you make a, a hell of a lot more than you miss. So I, yeah, I mean, we joked before when we talked in Tahoe that you are the consummate entertainer. And I mean that, I mean, you are putting yourself out there consistently and regularly, and you are, are very often succeeding. So I wanted you to hear that from me. I respect the hell out of you and your willingness to put yourself out. And that is a lesson that regardless of what you're doing, whether it's sports or whether it's entertainment or acting or singing or any of the other folks that we're talking to here, that's a lesson that everybody can learn is just keep, keep shooting your shot. Well, and, thank you uh, very much, man. I and appreciate so I, that. Yeah. I, I wanted you to know whether it's conscious or not, it's impressive. It's, it's really impressive and you're entertaining a hell of a lot of people. So congratulations. Sometimes it is, sometimes it is like I mean to do it and other times I don't, I'll give you an example. So Mortal Kombat came out with a movie, right? Brand new movie. And once it came out, Johnny Cage wasn't in it, but I was trending worldwide that the Miz should be Johnny Cage. So literally the next day I call my agent, I go, Hey, if this is an option, I will do whatever it takes to be Johnny Cage in the next Mortal Kombat movie. And so they made calls and they were like, we don't have a script yet. <laughs> like, like <laughs> this guy's already calling. Like, I'm already like, I'm already shooting my shot. Like, I've been stretching. Right. I am so close to getting the splits down. I've been working on my kicks, my punches. <laughs> and like, this is a this is a thing I haven't even auditioned for. Like I haven't even auditioned for. It was just You don't something... even know if it exists. Exactly. It doesn't even exist right now, but I'm still preparing for it because I it, there's something wrong with me, Brian. I really honestly believe there's something wrong with me because I'm like, this is something that I want. I really feel I can be it and really put everything I have into it and make it the character that it should be. And I know I could do it. And so it's all a matter of just, seeing the script and then literally getting the, the producers and they don't have director, the producer, they don't have anything done. Like, but th that's, that's all it like, I guess I do really do shoot my shot. Even when there is no shot to be shot, like I'll still yeah. shoot a shot just to see if it, if it makes it because you never know what's it, going it can to happen. Ricochet. It can ricochet. <laughs> it can ricochet and hit something even better at times. I can speak from personal experience on that. Uh, Mike, the Miz, Thank you so much for talking to me. My best to your family. I'm going to see you on the golf course soon. Yes, right? I'm actually going to golf right gotta after this. You, I got to beat you in something. You will beat so, me in that, any, to be honest with any, you. I mean, you you played, a hell, you played a really good in Tahoe. Let me tell you, I think I was like 80th out of 86th. And then I look for Brian, you're like in the 40s. Well. And that is, that is saying something because everyone there is like really good at golf. I'll it's shoot ridiculous. my shot there. But I'll hey, I also there. wanted to say, I really appreciate you having me on your podcast. I love Off the Beat. I loved 
like ever since the beginning when you're doing all the office stuff, I watch it. I love how you interview. I love how the the information and the passion you have for it. And by the way, just for everyone out there, Brian is amazing at at gambling because every time I've gambled with you, I have won. Oh, I have won. Right. I, I went up. By the, the only time I win is when I'm next to you because you literally tell me everything to do. <laughs> oh, I do have something else to say. When I talked to Miz in Tahoe for the podcast, this is, what, what do we call this? A special, a very special follow-up. Miz found a $5,000 chip and we made a lot of jokes about what to do with it. I told him he could just give it to me and I would, I would put it in a safe place. No, he went to Jonathan Thomas, the head of the American Century, and told him the story and said, this is for the foundation. This is for cancer research. And the $5,000 chip that wasn't his, that he found fair and square, ended up getting donated for cancer research through the American Century Foundation. So there you go. A good guy as well as a lucky guy. Yeah, very lucky. Very lucky. Well, thank you All right, so cheers, much, man. Mike. I appreciate thank it. Thank you so much. Mike, that was so fun. I have loved getting to know you better. And what makes the Miz tick? Or at least what makes Mike tick? To everybody out there listening, you're the best as well. It's always great to spend my Tuesdays with you. I will be here next week, same time, same place, with another guest who some might say is always watching. Hmm. What does that mean? You'll see next week. Off the Beat is hosted and executive produced by me, Brian Baumgartner, alongside our executive producer, Ling Lee. Our senior producer is Diego Tapia. Our producers are Liz Hayes, Hannah Harris, and Emily Carr. Our talent producer is Ryan Papa Zachary, and our intern is Sammy Katz. Our theme song, Bubble and Squeak, performed by the one and only Creed Bratton. The journey to a smoke-free future can be a long and winding road. But if you're ready for a change, consider taking Zinn for a spin. Zinn nicotine pouches offer a fresh way to discover your nicotine satisfaction. Anywhere, anytime. No smoke, no spit, and no lingering odor. Get in gear with the Zinn 10 Challenge and enjoy 10 smoke-free, spit-free days for just $5.95. Order online and start your new journey today. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare.
With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.